we continue to look at the fourth of the seven churches, we looked at part of this last week, the church at Thyatira, and uh, we talked about three things last week, if you recall, and they're on your outline printed there just in case you didn't get the message last week. And by the way, welcome to all of those who are joining us by live stream and television and radio. And the three things we talked about last week as it regards to the church uh, at Thyatira were this. Number one, we talked about the description of Christ that's given to us in verse 18. It describes who he is, and there were reasons for that. I'm not going to rehash that. You can go back and, and listen to that online, if you will. The second thing we talked about were the deeds of ministry. We talked about the deeds of ministry in verse 19, where Jesus said, I know your works. Listen, we know Jesus knows when we blow it, but he also knows when we get it right. And that's the big point that Jesus knows. He knows our deeds of ministry. And then the third thing that we talked about was the deception of Jezebel. Now, Jezebel was simply a term that described the spirit behind this person who was operating uh, in the church there, the Jewish, in the Jewish mind. Uh, any uh, a spirit that was really a demonic kind of spirit uh, was often thought of as a, a spirit of Jezebel, the Jezebel spirit. Some even call it that. And uh, this woman was characterized by the same source as the original Jezebel, and that is uh, uh, hell itself. And so that's what we talked about last week. Today I want to uh, finish uh, our discussion on this church and uh, we'll read our text about it in just a moment. John Ortberg tells a story of a man that's desperate for work. And so he applies to a zoo that he's heard had some openings. And it's, uh, the director says to him when he applies, well, we do have a job. It's a little unusual, but, but uh, if you're interested, uh, we could probably make that happen. The guy said, well, what is it? And the zoo uh, director said, well... Um, our gorilla died some time ago, and we haven't had uh, the money to replace him. But if you're willing to wear a monkey suit and at least impersonate an ape, you've got the job. Well, the man needed a job, and he said it didn't feel terribly authentic, but, but he figured a job's a job, and so he signed on. And after a few awkward days, <laughs> he began to get into the spirit of the thing and soon he became one of the zoo, zoo's prime attractions. One morning he was swinging from vine to vine and he got a little too animated and too excited in his swinging and inadvertently he swung himself right over the wall into the cage next to his which happened to be occupied by an enormous African lion. The man in the gorilla suit could suddenly feel the lion's hot breath on his face. He knew he was a goner. Reflexively, he just began screaming for help. All of a sudden, the lion whispered urgently to him, Shut up, you idiot. You're going to get us both fired. The fact is, this Jezebel that's talked about in the passage was not who she claimed to be. She was acting a part, a part that wasn't real, and the church had people who either ignored it completely, they didn't see the hidden danger, or who followed it out of just sheer ignorance or kindness, not wanting to offend her. 
But in both cases, their response would lead to ruin, and Jesus knew that, and so he sends them the message that we're going to read again this morning to warn them and to call them to repentance. And after we read this message again, I want to share a few thoughts about the church just to remind you, and then I want to show you three more things. If you're physically able to do so, stand with me this morning as we read God's Word, beginning in verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the church will know that I am the, uh, the one who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations." And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, let us hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And Father, if we find ourselves individually, corporately, Father, nationally, spiritually, in the place of Thyatira. Let us repent. Show us. Let us repent, Father, so that you may work your works through us. Father, cause us to hear right now. Bind the enemy from this place. In the name of Jesus, speak and cause us to obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now let me just give you a quick refresher If you remember, I told you that the city of Thyatira was further inland than any of the other churches that we have looked at uh, so far. Uh, Ephesus, uh, Smyrna, uh, these churches that we've looked at uh, so far, this one was the furthest inland to to point. And uh, it was a significant commerce and trade city. That's one of the reasons it was highly populated and one of the reasons that it had so many pagan gods. I told you last week that it was known for its various textile guilds and unions. They were very common. If you had some kind of tradecraft, there was a union for your tradecraft. And really, you were pretty much expected to be a part of that union. The only problem with these unions or these guilds, not only did they protect the workers' interests, so to speak, they had somehow, over the years, come to attach themselves to the various pagan gods. And so when they had these pagan feasts and pagan festivals, much of them uh, immoral, then these unions were expected, and the people a part of that, obviously, to cooperate 
and uh, be involved in these, uh, these guilds and these feasts and festivals of immorality. And so the Christians, again, once again, uh, uh, in, endured the harshness of these guilds because they said we can't associate with the guild because the guild associates with paganism. And as a result, they were harassed uh, uh, because of that. And uh, if they associated, their testimony would be compromised. Now, like other churches in the region, Thyatira was this kind of uh, uh, multi-worship center. They had the temples to Apollo, as I've said, Artemis, Demeter, uh, Tiche. Uh, and so the Christians in Thyatira faced the same kind of challenges the Christians in the other church areas that we've already talked about. They faced this hostility, a growing hostility, and they faced this pressure to conform. And that's the reason the church at Thyatira is so relevant for us and the age in which we're living is because of the enormous pressure that this church and these Christians experience to try and accommodate both the culture and at the same time worship Jesus Christ. An impossible task. And so many of them were compromised. They were trying to do both. They were trying to, to live in the world and live in the kingdom. And you know, that's why Jesus tells us to come out and be separate, come out and be separate from them. Because if we live, if we are like them, then the fact is we're no different than they are. And they have no reason to follow uh, a Christ. Now, I told you last week, and I say and reiterate again, be cautious that you don't see this in big, broad, general terms. Because that's the easy thing to do. You know, when we sit in our places and preachers stand in the pulpits, if we're not careful... Uh, what we do is we generalize. We say, oh yeah, that church, man, they had problems. That church had problems. And we say that church had people problems, right? Uh, they were a loving church. We, we said that. They were enduring church. They were commended for so much, but they had problems. And we can see their problems because we can read about them. And the, the, our problem is we tend to think that the problems they had were just that. They were their, their problems. And if we're not careful, we miss the relevance of it to our own personal lives. And that's what we have to be certain that when we study a church, we not only say, well, look at them, we say, looking at them should cause us to look at ourselves. And so make sure you do that as we talk. You see, what was true then is true today. And that's why Jesus is warning them about this Jezebel who has infiltrated their their congregation had infiltrated their church because Jesus knew that one bad seed can spoil the whole batch. He understood that. By the way, uh, Paul understood that too. And that's why when Paul is describing the church, he says that if any member suffers, then all of us suffer together. If one member is honored, then all rejoice together. And then he adds this, now you are the body of Christ, listen, and individual members of it. So what he is saying is an individual member of the body of Christ makes a huge difference for good or for bad. If one suffers, we all suffer, right? Because we're one body. If one is honored, we all should feel honored. This is why believers must learn to love people without losing fidelity to the truth or compromising the truth. That's what was going on there. They loved people. They loved God. 
but they were compromising on something that eventually would destroy them. And the reason that Jesus warned them is so that they would not remain ignorant, uninformed, and he warned them so that they would repent. So we've looked at the first three things on your outline. Now, what is the fourth? Here's the fourth that I want to show you today. The fourth is the defiance of grace. Look at verse 21. Keep your Bible open, if you will. He said, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. That's the defiance of grace. Isn't God good? I mean, God is really so good to us, right? Because my guess, you're like me, and there have been times in my life where I have honestly defied the grace of God. You ever done that? You've defied the grace of God. God's been good. God's been patient with you, but you've done it your own way. Or you said, I'm not going to do it God's way. Or I know what God says, but... I've said many times through the years, one of the things that I, I, just, uh, I just really battle is when people say, well, I know what God's Word says, but... Because what they're doing is they're saying, I'm going to defy it. And listen, when you know what God, to him that knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin, the Bible says, guess what? When you know the right thing to do, you don't do it, you have sinned, and you know what you're doing? It's an act of defiance. And in this case... God is so good. Why, why would I say that? Because he had been so patient with Jezebel, whoever this Jezebel is. He'd been so patient with her. Do you get it? Because he said, I, I've given her time to repent. And by the way, when God calls you to repentance, he lets you know what you need to repent of. And so he had given her time to repent, but she hadn't repented. She hadn't repented. She refused. In fact, she knew what God was calling her to repentance and she outright refused i'm not doing that i'm just not going to do that do you know the bible says that the the day will come when uh, god's uh, wrath will fall in the tribulation upon men and women and there will be all sorts of plague and all sorts of catastrophe do you know you would think that people would look up turn their faces up to heaven wouldn't you and say okay we get it we get it. I repent. But you know what the Bible says they'll do? People will raise their fist at God and curse him. Now, that's going to get you a long way. A long way the wrong way. Well, this is really what she was doing. She was shaking her fist at God. And by the way, even, you can do that overtly or covertly. When God has told you there's something you need to deal with and you refuse to deal with it you are shaking your fist at God by the way you're trying his patience too Um, he said he had patiently waited to give her time to get right to repent but she refused she just defied the grace now by the way he does the same with you and I and he does the same with the culture he gives them time uh, to repent he gives us time. You and I, if, you, if there's something you need to repent of, you need to repent of it because you're living under the patient grace of God, but you have no guarantee when he will say, I've had enough. A nation needs to realize that, that the day will come when the curtain falls and God says, I've had enough. It's true in our life. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, there were scoffers, by the way, who said, this stuff about Jesus returning. Uh, where is the proof that Jesus is going to return? 
you've been saying that and you've been talking about that and 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 so but where is him and here's what Peter here's how Peter answers he says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness that's an important phrase in that verse how do you measure slow well God is slow by my terms by my definition but Peter says God is patient Uh, God is is not slow to fulfill his promise it's just that your time and God's time are two different times so he says the Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but listen class he is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance repentance what why why it's a period of grace God is saying I'm I'm being patient Christ has not returned because I'm waiting I'm waiting but there is a time limit because Acts says that that day of his return is fixed in heaven so you see you can't continue to defy the grace of God and expect that it will go on and on and on I had a man tell me this one time I talked to him about how he was living he had been he had been a believer that it had a substantial influence and impact, and then he had decided to take the way of the, the world, you might say. Paul said, Demas deserted me being in love with the world. And this guy kind of did that. He was kind of like Demas, and I talked to him on one occasion, and, and uh, I, I said, what are you doing? Do you recognize what you're doing? And this is what he said to me. He said, I know. I know I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I know I shouldn't be living the way I'm living. And then he said, but I'm just going to do it for a little while. And then I'll get everything back in line. I saw him four years ago. He said this to me. We're having a conversation. It was at a reunion that's so old that it's none of your business. And he said this to me, you saved my life, but I didn't. He's on his fourth wife. His life is no different in how he's living now as he was when I talked to him. Now listen, you say, well, that's a lot of time. Yeah, it's a lot of time. And the longer you live that way, the harder it will become for you to repent and turn back because your heart will grow cold. Your mind will become hard. You'll become insensitive to God. You'll be able to say, I know what God wants. I just no longer have the capacity to do it. You know, the Bible says early after in creation not long after creation my spirit will not always strive with man the spirit of God will not continue to pester you if you continue to resist him Romans 1 go read Romans I wish I had time to read Romans 1 to you today because it is a snapshot of the world you're living in and it says this and God gave them up or God gave them over to their own lust to their own passions there's a time when God says if that's what you want you're not going to respond to me anymore so be it there's a limit there's a limit and we can abuse the grace of God but God is patient 
And, and again, aren't, aren't we glad for that? Um, aren't you glad he hasn't given you what you deserve? That was a weak amen. Let me say that. Let's try that one more time. Okay. Uh, let's, uh, y'all hang on. Let's start with you, this crowd right here. Aren't you glad, choir, God has not given you what you deserve? Amen. Can y'all top that? Now, congregation, oh, well, they're part of the congregation too, but now listen, aren't you glad God hasn't given you what you deserve? Amen. Yeah. He's patient, he's loving, but he has limits. Jesus told someone, he said, uh, talking about a story of, where some people were killed, and Jesus responds and says, I tell you this, unless you repent, you will always, likewise perish as well. In his book, I Surrender, Patrick Morley writes that the church's integrity problem is in the misconception that we can add Christ. Listen, this is a great line. Its misconception is that we can add Christ to our lives but not subtract sin. It is a change in belief without a change in behavior. And he goes on to say, it is revival without reformation or repentance. And his point is, sarcastically, you can't have it that way. It doesn't work that way. You can't add Christ to your life and not subtract uh, sin. You can't change your belief without changing your behavior. Repentance is not just a belief we adopt. It is a response that changes the direction of our life. The time to get right with God, and that's what he was saying to Thyatira, the time to get right with God was right then. It was now, not eventually. For now, God has extended grace to us. God has extended grace to you, but that will not last forever. Listen, listen. If there are things that you need to repent of, do it. To respond any other way is to respond like Jezebel. And that is to simply defy the window of grace that God has provided. And that leads to the second thing, or really number five on your outline, that I want you to see this morning. I want you to see the deadly response. Look at verse 23. There are two things I'm going to show you, verse 22 and verse 23. But he said, I will strike her children dead. God declares his judgment on her house and those who have followed her. Now, who are her children? Most scholars believe, and I do too, that they are not her literal biological children. They may be, but most believe that these were the children of her false teaching. They were the, the product of her, her teaching. I have some guys that are in the ministry all over the country, and they sometimes call me the, their, their spiritual father. Now, they mean Jesus is their God. I, I, but what they mean is I kind of coached them and mentored them a little bit, and they will refer to that. It's, and, and, so, and, and I look at them like my sons in the ministry. But they're not biologically mine. But they're a byproduct of of ministry. Well, these children were a byproduct of her ministry. So you see, that can work for good or bad, right? And these children, he said, look, I'll tell you what, I'm going to kill her children. Those who follow her ways, those who buy into her false teaching, uh, those who are engaged in her sexual immorality, 
God's judgment on Jezebel and on her uh, disciples is sickness, in t- listen, intended to prompt repentance and even more severe for some, and that would result in death. Now, if you notice in verse 22, he said, Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. I don't know, you probably thought, well, why didn't, why didn't he throw her kids on a sickbed and kill her? Uh, you'll have to ask God. But this is what he intended. Maybe he figures that if I can get her to repent, it will tur- turn even more back to repentance. But who knows? But at any rate, he, he prescribes this. I'm going to throw her on her sickbed. Sickness is going to be what I'm going to bring to her. Death to uh, uh, her followers. And so when you, when you see that kind of, I'm going to throw her on her sickbed for, to, to, to produce repentance. We sometimes, we sometimes ask, is, is sickness then the judgment of God? Is sickness, I, I've been sick, or you've been sick, or that's, is that the judgment of, of God? How, how do we deal with, with sickness when we are sick? Well, let me give you three things that the Bible teaches about sickness. The first is this, that some sickness is a result of living in a broken world. Some sickness is just we, this world is broken. With, with sin that entered the world came disease and sickness. And so sometimes sickness is just because you live in a broken world. Now, listen, that doesn't mean God doesn't have power over sickness in a broken world. That's not what I said. But some sickness is the natural course of living in a broken world, all right? And by the way, the Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust, okay? So some sickness is just a result. We live in this broken world ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and introduced death. It introduced death, then guess what? Sickness was a byproduct of all of that. So that's number one. You need to remember that. Number two, some sickness is for the glory of God. Now, how do we know that? Because the Bible teaches that as well. The Bible teaches, you remember the story of the, of the blind man that Jesus healed and he was brought to Jesus and uh, the, um, uh, the question was asked of Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Now, by the way, that's not the most highly intellectual question. Because how could the man have sinned before he was born, right? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? But the point is still, Jesus takes the question, and he understands the nature of the question is, this man, this has to be sinful. See, that was the implication is, if somebody sinned here, maybe he sinned in the womb. In sin I was conceived, in iniquity I was brought forth, David said. Uh, maybe he sinned in the womb. Or maybe it was his parents' sin so that when they birthed him, he would be born blind. It's his parents had done something sinful, and as a result of that, God's punishment was to give him a blind son. So let, let me tell you what Jesus responds with. Do you remember that story? Y'all remember that story? Jesus says, neither. Neither this man or his parents sin that he was born blind this man was born blind for the glory of God 
Because Jesus, think about this. Whew. Jesus knew you before you were born, and he knew the purpose for which you were being born. If nothing else, that guy could strut around the rest of his life and say, I am a living, breathing example of the glory of God. I was born for the glory of God. Now you say, yeah, he could. Yeah, listen, just time out. So were you. Whatever you do in word or deed, let it all be done for the glory of God. Have you ever thought about that? Before I knew you in the womb, uh, before I, I formed you in the womb, I knew you and it set you apart, God told Jeremiah. Listen, don't miss that. That's, that is a life changer. It'll keep you from moping through life. You can say, I, <clears throat> I was born for the glory of God. Some sickness is for the glory of God. And by the way, listen to this. This, will, this might blow some of your minds. Sometimes sickness is for the glory of God and there's no healing. What does that make you feel like? Sometimes sickness is for the glory of God, but there may not be a healing. Well, there will be a healing. The ultimate healing. By the way, footnote. If we all understood how incredible heaven is, we'd be trying to get sick. You're sick, I'm out of here, I'm there. <laughs> now don't, don't take the preacher too literally about that, okay? Um, but you do understand what I'm saying, right? But your life is for the glory of God. So sometimes sickness in your life is for the glory of God. So ask that question, God, is this sickness for your glory? Is this sickness, is this illness, is this battle that I have, is it for your glory? This man was born blind so that a miracle of God could happen and he could testify to the world, I once was blind but now I see sickness for the glory of God. There's a third reason for sickness, and it's in this passage. Some sickness is indeed the judgment of God. Some sickness is the judgment. And so we have to be careful that we don't miss the fact that some sickness may be from God with the express purpose of discipline or producing repentance. Y'all get that? Thank you, Brent. Listen, do you understand that? That sometimes sickness may be, in fact, the judgment of God. Right here is an expression of that. Sickness and even death. John talked about there is a sin unto death. Now, don't ask me when that happens, when that occurs. I, I can't tell you. I can't answer that question. But at some point in time, if you and I don't repent, it is possible that Jesus, that God would bring into your life something to rock your life, to get your attention. I don't tell you that to scare you. I, I, but I, I will say this, that if you are defying God in your life and you are sick, 
it's at least worth paying attention to the notion that God may be trying to get your attention and lead you to repentance. Would you agree with that statement? And that's what God promised would happen to Jezebel and Thyatira if they did not repent. So you got the three things about sickness, fallen world, glory of God. And yes, God can and has and most certainly does use some to break and bring us back to him, to repentance. That's heavy stuff, isn't it? But we ought to at least be mindful. And so you say, well, <laughs> Pastor, I'm sick. I got, I got an ailment. Well, if you're defying God, you need to ask him, does this ailment have anything to do with my defiance? I can't answer that. But if he's trying to lead you to repentance, he'll let you know. God, so ask, the, if, if, when you get sick, not if, you live in a fallen world, you will get sick. So when you get sick, ask God, is this for your glory? Whether healing happens or not, is this for your glory? Or God, is this to bring about my repentance? Answer those two questions. Or God, is this because I live in a fallen world? And I, I was around somebody that sneezed several times. So, all right? And by the way, Paul... Paul also referred to what I call judgmental sickness. That is, it is the judgment of God. And, it, and he referred to it coming to the Corinthian believers. Do you remember what they were doing? The Corinthian believers were abusing the Lord's Supper. You would think, seriously? And, that, and God, yeah, God takes the Lord's Supper very seriously. We should too. But, but Paul said that they were, many of them were partaking of it in an unholy manner. They were abusing it. They were getting drunk when they took the Lord's Supper, among other things. And you know what Paul said? Well, let me tell you what he said. That is why, this is 1 Corinthians 11.30, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. It's a kind of a judgmental sickness. But listen, it's time for me to close. So let me give you number six, number six on your outline. And that is, I want you to notice the decision to remain faithful. The decision to remain faithful. Verse 25 says, only hold fast to what you have until I come. And this is where the choice, remember our, our, our series is seven churches, seven choices. This is where the choice comes in. Would they remain faithful? They are encouraged to hold fast to, to what they had. They were encouraged to remain faithful, but it was their choice to do so. It was their decision, and likewise, it's ours too. All of us have to make that kind of choice. Actor Dax Shepard, on a recent televised podcast, gave, gave his audience a couple of minutes to ask questions, and one young woman in the front row asked him this question. She said, how do you get through the hard times in life? Dax didn't even pause. He responded frankly and he said, you just remember it always ends. Now I grew up and I loved roller coasters. I loved them as a kid and a teenager. I loved them as a young adult. 
I'm not so hot anymore for roller coasters, but I loved them. And the scarier, the better, you know. And, and uh, in most of my young adult years, I like to ride some of the most popular and notoriously scary ones. We had a park down in Florida that was known for all its roller coasters. They, every year they were introducing a new, uh, more dramatic, scarier, more frightening roller coaster. And we would go there from time to time, and, and uh, I loved them. I wanted to try them all, and until I finally got on one, and, and I rode this one. It's the only one that I can recall in all my life that I ever rode that it, after I, it got started, I wanted to get off. You ever been on some of those? You, it got started, and I thought, I, I want off of this. And, and I remember that it was throwing me around so much that I lost any fun or joy in the ride. It was just throwing me everywhere. And all I could think of was just hold on. Just hold on. Thank God this won't last forever. Hold on. Now listen to me. There is coming an end. And between now and that end, We must hold fast because it will be over. It will not last forever. And how we choose to respond in the present makes all the difference in eternity for our lives. Jesus asked the question, when the Son of Man returns, will He find faith on earth? Faithfulness is the decision to trust and obey. It is the decision to believe Christ when everyone around you abandons Christ. It is the decision to hold on to Him, to His Word, even with, when people all around you abandon you. I had a Greek professor who used to say this. He'd say, boys... Right is right if everybody else is wrong. And wrong is still wrong if everybody's doing it. We have to hold fast. That's what he says to them. I know what's going on where you are in Thyatira. I know what you're doing. Your love and your patient endurance and these things that are so good... But you have to repent of something, get clean, get right with God so that He can do what He wants to do through you. Holding fast to what they had, what did it mean? It meant that they, they, what they had and what Jesus has given you, the faith once and all delivered to the saints, Jude says, what God has entrusted you is sufficient to hold you until he returns. It hadn't changed then, it hasn't changed now. He told them to hold on, to hold on to what they had. It's getting harder, isn't it, to hold fast? Today we're living in a tragic hour when we're told that we must accept everything and we must get along with everybody and It's kind of like uh, we've fallen under some cultural hypnotic spell that that causes us to 
to believe we have to get along with evil and that we have to, to live at peace with iniquity. Friend, I want to tell you something. The early church, they had no intentional knowledge of what we would call modern-day political correction and tolerance. They knew that the devil often disguises himself as an angel of light and they knew that false light was not light at all. You see, we're not called to just tag along. We're called to make a difference. And Jesus knew the church at Thyatira could make a difference. He knew that, and so he warns them of what's good, he tells them, and then he warns them of what they have to deal with. Recently, over the sabbatical, I, I did some projects, you know. I, we traveled some, and then I did some projects. I did a lot of studying and that sort of stuff. But I replaced our home thermostats with some more modern, high-tech models of thermostats and the kind that, that I can control from anywhere I am. And i got to think about that actually means I'm the thermostat. I mean, I can control them from anywhere I am. It's a really cool thing. We were traveling home from, from North Carolina and about uh, south of Atlanta, I said, I want to cool the house down. And I just took my phone and I just told it to start cooling the house down and told it what to do. That's pretty cool. Some of you say, Pastor, you just now getting that? Yes. But listen, here, here's what, what I realized. I am the, ther- I, I'm the thermostat. I set the temperature. I, God hasn't called you or me to register the temperature in the culture. And if we're not careful, myself included, we can be guilty of just talking about the temperature. Our mission isn't to register the temperature in the world, in the church. Our mission is to be thermostats and to set the temperature. To influence the temperature. I tell our staff, they will tell you, I tell them frequently uh, on Sunday mornings after our prayer time, I will often tell them, guys, remember you're a thermostat, not a thermometer. You're a thermostat. Set the temperature. Be influential. That's what we have been called to be. And that's what he means when he tells them, hold fast, make a difference. So, how do you become a thermostat? How how do you become that person that uh, is a person that sets the temperature? How do you hold fast until Jesus remains? Let me me close by telling you. Number one, you get saved. You turn to Christ in faith. You want to be a a, a thermostat? You've got to get saved first. If you're not saved, not just in this live audience, on uh, on live stream and television and radio. Listen, you want to be a thermostat or you're having problem being a thermostat? Maybe that you've never trusted Christ. You need to start by getting saved. Turn to Christ like Gunner did. Call on the Lord Jesus. Whosoever shall call on the Lord Jesus will be saved. you got to start there. You say, well, I have started there. Then maybe you need to get specific, and that is deal with some sin that you are allowing to corrupt your life and to produce a wedge between you and God. There may be some sin. You and God talk about that. You deal with that with God. Maybe it is. You just need to wise up. You need to get smart. See, Thyatira wasn't a bad church. I told you last week, if you, go, if you had gone to Thyatira, you wouldn't have walked out saying, man, that's a church that needs revival. 
you would have probably walked down and said, wow, those are some of the most loving people I've ever been around. Because that's what Jesus said about them, that they were very loving and they were patient and they, they uh, served God. And he, he knowed, you, would, you wouldn't have walked in there and walked out and said, boy, that's a rough church. But Jesus knew it's the same of your life. There may be some things that you just, you're going to have to get specific about. And then you're going to have to get smart. Be loving, but not uninformed. Remember I called this the uninformed church? They didn't see what was happening right around them. You've got to get smart. Be loving. Don't be ignorant. Don't believe that you have to accept every wind of doctrine that comes along. So, get saved. Get specific with sin. And get smart about being an influencer, about being a thermostat. So what is the lesson? Here it is. Here's the lesson. Believers need discernment and discipline until Jesus returns. Believers need discernment and discipline until Jesus returns. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask now that in these remaining moments that you would move among us. Uh, Father, if there's things to deal with right now in the hearts of people all over this room and the hearts and minds of people that are tuned in by television and, and live stream and, and radio, God, would you speak to their hearts wherever they are, whatever they're doing, you speak to their hearts. And Father, those who have not put their trust in you, cause them to call upon you right now to say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need you. I receive you and invite you into my life right now. And Lord, there are others under the sound of my voice. There are things that they need to deal with. And Lord, I uh, there are things I need to deal with. And I, Father, there are things I'm dealing with. And Lord, I understand that. And, and, and so, Father, I pray that you'll help them, those who are listening, to say there are things that I, I need to deal with. And you'll turn them and their hearts toward you. And then, Lord, there, there, there are those who are listening that need to get, well, they just need to get smart. And drink in only what your word says and then adjust their lives accordingly so that they don't fall under the deception of the spirit of the age, of the spirit of Jezebel. Father, would you speak to us now in these moments as we close out, God, move in this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for our invitation? I invite you to slip out from the balcony of this ground floor. Our staff will be on the aisles. I'm here. Come to one of us. Come and use the altar. You need to talk to the Lord. Don't miss the opportunity. Don't miss the moment in which you can come and kneel before Him. You know, you, you know it's, there's power in a bent knee. There's power because the posture says I'm humbling myself before God. And so I invite you to come and, and humble yourself before God. You're praying for somebody. You're praying about some decision. There's some choice that you've got to make, and you need God's wisdom. Or there's some matter that you just need to talk to Him about. And you're coming to bend your knees and say, God, it's that important. I humble myself before you. Maybe you're here this morning, and you prayed that prayer to, 
uh, called on the name of the Lord to be saved, would you slip out? Would you come on this morning? Would you come and say, Pastor, I did it. I called on him. Or, or, Pastor, I need a church home. I have called on Jesus, but I need a church home, and I want Ridgecrest to be my church home and church family. Would you come as well? Now, to those of you who are watching, there's information on the television to tell you how you can make your decision and how we'll take it from there. And you follow those instructions, but it's so important. To, and in this room, you know there's a tear-off panel. You can use the tear-off panel if you wish. But there's something powerful about publicly saying I'm following Jesus there's something powerful about saying I'm publicly connecting with the family of God and so as brother Aaron and the choir leads us right now you come on come on